welcome to Beringa's Energy Innovators podcast, bringing you a series of thought-provoking and current conversations with industry leaders, where we discuss the transition, transformation, and innovation in energy markets. On today's podcast, we have myself, James Constable from Beringa, hosting, and I'm joined by Devrin Salal, the CEO of Upside Energy, and Nicola Plower, the director of Beringa's Energy and Resources Practice. We have a conversation focused on the energy transition from the perspective of real-time asset optimization and control, new customer developments in the flexibility space, and the opportunity that renewables have to play in the transition to a low-carbon electricity system. Enjoy the podcast. This podcast was recorded before Upside Energy were acquired by Octopus Energy. Devrim, Nicola, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining. Um, a very interesting conversation coming up um, around flexibility, the role of technology. Uh, Devrim, could you just give us a bit of an overview of yourself? Really keen for you to tell our listeners about your background, almost pre-Upside, um, your role in Upside and um, and what Upside are here to do. Okay, so my, my background is, is a bit of a stamp collection. Um, you know, I, I had the benefit of starting my career as a management consultant which got me hooked onto doing lots of different things. And I managed to do that for about four years. Then um, I formed the European operations of a company called Sapient, which uh, at the time was one of the leading uh, IT integrators. And they had one principle that became the, the foundation of their success. And that was everything was fixed time, fixed price, same scope. Okay. Uh, and that, that sort of remained as a principle with me in everything I do. It ha- has to come with a very rigid project management principle to get things done. Now, Sapien turned out to be good success. And since uh, leaving Sapien, which was about 15 years ago now, I've been an entrepreneur uh, working with one principle that businesses need to have more revenues than cost. If you, <laughs> good if, you, if you understand that every business is identical to the other. Uh, it's got inputs, it's got outputs, you just need to get the right balance between those. And the key key foundation element is the team. You have to energize, excite the team, and the rest of it just falls into place. And through that journey, I've done uh, commercial property development, I've done insurance, reinsurance, and a number of different uh, tech uh, tech businesses. And, uh, and that brought me to Upside, uh, which was originally formed by a colleague of mine from my sapient base. Uh, Graham Oakes, who was a director of technology while I was director of business strategy at Sapient. And he had a, what I thought was a brilliant idea. Uh, and at the time, I was in the lovely world of reinsurance brokerage, helping find risk mitigation for power plants, not the good ones, uh, and airports. So the opportunity of actually jumping into something that had uh, great commercial potential, uh, but also gave me the opportunity to do something that I could feel good about and be massively interesting was too appealing. So I dropped everything off, uh, became an investor in Upside, jumped ship, joined, and it's been five years now. Oh, fantastic. Well, great introduction. Thanks, Devrin. We're also joined by Nicola, Nicola Plower um, from Beringa. Nicola, could you just give us an overview of yourself as well? And um, we can, um, fascinating to hear about your experience in this sector as well. Yeah, thanks, James. Uh, Great to be here. So Nicola Plower, I am a director in Beringa's trading practice. So 
goodness, I don't want to admit how many years I've been in a consultant, but uh, I've definitely been with Baringa for 16 years. And I suppose my history in that time has been predominantly around trading, everything to do with um, power and gas trading in the UK and Europe uh, and how trading businesses have needed to respond to market change, regulatory change, um, M&A activity. Uh, and all of the business architecture that comes with that, so people, systems, processes. Um, through that period, I've seen a lot of change. Um, and I suppose three years ago, I was working with EDF and solving their trading problems. And then they came to me and asked, said, flexibility, we want to do something. We need, we need to, you know, we want to defend market position. We want to create a new exciting proposition for our customers. Can you help us think through how that will work across our retail and trading businesses? And to be honest, I suppose that has kick-started the next phase of my career at Boringa. And I now lead the PowerFlex practice, which is a team of people focused on working with incumbents and new entrants and really understanding what it is they need to do from a capability perspective to, to navigate and thrive in the energy transition. Um, and as part of that journey with Shell and Drax and others, um, Devon and I have worked quite closely together on a number of projects. Uh, so, yeah, so really keen to kind of explore the world of flexibility this afternoon and, and get some viewpoints from Devon. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Nicola. So I, for my sins, I need to also express my um my position here as well. So Devrim actually used to be a competitor of mine when I was working in Origami Energy. So I think that's um, really, really um, cool to be able to have this conversation today. So I think it'd be great if you could give an overview of Upside um, yeah. uh, as well, and then we can maybe get into a little bit of the market context. Sure. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting with these startups when you, and I remember when we kicked it off, Origami was get, about to get going as well. And I remember having a workshop with the origami team to say, what is it we're going to do? And can we create something where we can collaborate? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, and it, it was obvious, at least on, on our side of the fence, we just didn't know what we were going to do. We had this big idea. And it, on its core, it was software. Um, we knew we're all software people at Upside. We know we can design and execute outstanding software products that can scale massively that are easy to adapt and that can be configured to answer different questions quite well uh, and we started with that dna uh, for a long time we lived in the world of aggregator aggregation and i, I remember early days uh, we knew we had to sell frequency but we had no idea what that was and we had to go and figure that out and build the platform that could address lots of needs where we are today is a pure software platform. I'm going to slightly contradict myself in this story, but pure software platform that has to rely on physical gateways to communicate with the end asset. But if we ignore the physical gateway, there is pure software platform that can um, connect to any kind of distributed energy resource. And whether that's small or large, or whether it's a domestic battery, a renewable asset or a utility scale battery, we're agnostic, and connect that asset to any kind of marketplace. So that could be your uh, uh, ancillary services, your day ahead, intraday balancing mechanism, whatever that may be. So the pure base capability is the ability to connect any asset with any market, but we work with two primary audiences to deliver the service to. 
uh, on one side, and going, I'll always go back to this analogy of the physical and the financial side of the spectrum. So back on the physical side, we work with asset owners who own these asset classes, and we provide them a one-stop shop service to where they can control and dispatch, monitor and manage, and have deep reporting capabilities. That's operational and true real-time financial uh, reporting of their assets. Then we layer, put two layers on top. Well, effectively one layer. Uh, the reporting is the first layer. And the second layer is we digitally connect their assets to multiple traders in real time. So that once they have the information of saying, how well is my asset performing? How did that compare against the market? Then they have the ability to take the, an action on tap and switch the trader and follow the best trader in the marketplace. Okay. On the financial side, we have the traders. So that could be a trader as an off-taker that's purely trading these assets for financial gain, or it could be a trader at the electricity retailer where they're trying to flatten the position between their customer demand and what they're buying in the marketplace. And the beauty of it is the two ends come together quite nicely. The more assets you have, it's more interesting for the traders. The more traders you have, it's more interesting for the asset owners that have come to the platform. Okay. That is awesome. So let's let's take that zoom out slightly. A brilliant overview of, of upside. Zoom out slightly. And, and Nicola, could you just give a bit, bit of an overview for listeners on, you know, the market context that upside is working within? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think we're we're definitely at a pivotal point. I think major transition is probably the a, a good way to explain it. And the fact that we are now moving from a large scale, predominantly fossil based generation. Um, mix to a much more renewable and low carbon expectation and I think to kind of give some stats I think we're expecting that 64% of total capacity you know on a global scale by 2050 will come from renewable sources so that's going to have a significant impact um, as I said it's a global trend and hence we it's driving um, new assets and new distributed small scale assets because we need to firm up that renewable generation so if, if you think about the old world, that traditional world, large scale generation, predominantly base load, um, quite a predictable kind of generation output, a predictable customer supply output. And thus the domain of utilities, traders and retailers has been, really been to kind of balance that and trade that, that demand and supply and for the grid to, to provide that balancing services. So broadly, it's been predictable. As soon as you add renewables into the mix, suddenly that predictability is a lot harder. It's a lot harder to forecast. The sun, you need to know when the sun's going to shine or the wind's going to blow. And typically, as we know, wind tends to blow harder and faster overnight. So, and hence our, our, our kind of demand is lower. So, so we need a way in which we can try and, as I said, firm up that, that generation profile and flexibility plays a key role in that. So when we talk about flexibility, as, as Devon has said, it's, it's more, it's less about the big plants that you would see on the landscape, it's more about the small scale, 50 megawatts and, and less it's kind of batteries it might be backup generation it might be um supermarket fridges it certainly is going to be evs in the futures so it's going to come in a lot smaller format and a lot smaller capacity so we're, in order to kind of firm up that that kind of generation profile we're going to need to be able to to bolt together like a jigsaw puzzle a number of those different types of assets to be able to be fast responsive and, and, and to be able to kind of firm up that profile. So, so hence flexibilities around, around creating a more predictable and kind of traditional um, generation profile so that we can still meet the demand. 
but also as a kind of, as you bring in different types of assets and have different usage profiles on the grid, we need to also provide stability services and balancing services because the grid itself, you know, it's been around for a while. It's, it's a very costly thing to maintain and to upgrade. So we need to find ways, new products and services that we can kind of provide that stability while also kind of making sure that we can make that transition to a much more yeah. decarbonized um, energy mix. So I'll pick up on that point you just made there around products and services. So, so you know, <clears throat> in flexibility in, in the markets, you know, we've gone through a process of seeing ancillary services that were originally, you know, pretty valuable. They, they, you know, we've gone through a process of attrition as more people have got piled in, piled into the into the game, right? They're trying to monetize, um, trying to monetize, basically balancing balancing the grid. Um, we we've seen a few big acquisitions as well. So, you know. Um, the Shell Lime Jump, for example, being one, um, some exciting acquisitions. Where is the money in this space, and how do you, how do we monetize this? Um, I think if we could unpack that, um, you know, <laughs> we could do that through your your products, um, and and how and how are you doing that at the moment with Upside? In terms of money, uh, the, it's not in one particular place. The the money is in multiple places and. The winning strategy is actually the ability to follow the money. Um, so if you if we look historically, and we 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 have we we've got our first index. We still call it upside index, and we'll come up with a better name. But we have an index of a megawatt one hour battery in the London region, and what did it earn for the past year? And if you look at the analysis, sixty percent of the income was frequency. And not massive surprise. It's a lucrative service. It's a fairly uh, easy on the battery. It doesn't cycle much. It doesn't push it to its limits. Um, then we, then you would see a little bit portion of wholesale power and a tiny sliver of balancing mechanism. I think National Grid is now starting to get to the point where they're they're adapting slightly more agile methodology for testing these things out. So you've got a few products that are coming in that have been trialed and rolled out. And dynamic containment is a good product. It's good for batteries. It pays good value. And and the beauty of batteries is you can configure them to respond to different things. Um, as uh, I'm, I'm stealing from Andy Allen from Arenco, his terminology is they're digital assets and they can respond fast, they can respond in different shapes. So you can use them as synthetic uh, tools to create the responses you need to manage a grid system. But um, go, going, going back to that, so dynamic containment will play and 12 months time, we'll see some revenues from that. But I would expect the big change to the last 12 months is going to be the balancing mechanism. Because a lot of change is coming in that domain of automating and digitizing the operation of that. And again, batteries being the flexible assets will come to the forefront and will get increasingly more calls out of the balancing mechanism. I think I would probably just build a little bit on Devram's point there in terms of I fully support what he said. But I also think if I look back to maybe the kind of macro level, the way I kind of see it and I think the way Beringa sees it, is this is a series of waves. We've had kind of market changes in the past where it's been a bit of a reset of the market rules. We're not in that environment. So, you know, kind of we're going to have a lot more waves of change that come on, you know, as the renewable profile builds on, on the network, as technology becomes, you know, there's a lower cost, lower barrier to entry, kind of lower investment cycle. And also, I think the customer has a role to play because we do expect, as we are seeing, you know, electric vehicles is playing a big role. Um, heat's going to play a role, electrification of fleets. So it's not going to come on at all at one time. It's going to come on in waves as technology matures, um, as 
as kind of the grid needs it. So it's it's going to be there's going to be I would imagine where the value pools will start to emerge kind of year by year, I think actually there's going to be waves of multiple revenue streams for, for assets to be able to kind of dip into. And it makes it really much more exciting because then business models, you can't predict them. Everyone will come at it with a, with a different way, a different business model, incumbents who've got legacy you know, systems that you know it's really difficult to get access to data. They're going to have to make investments in data and digitization to be able to compete with with the new entrants, which are more kind of technology enabled, you know, if we think about the octopuses and the ovos, they're coming at it from a point of strength. They've got data and digital on their side. Um, so they're going to be able to respond faster, quicker and possibly with, with a great product. But I think customer is an important one that we should probably think about as well in the context of flexibility. It's, you know, it's us with, as, as Devon said, it's either kind of domestic batteries or EVs, but it's also large corporates who are looking to have a much more you know net zero is massively on their agenda and, and they're going to procure renewables at source from generation so, so the role of supplier in this is also going to transform and, and hence that creates other different kind of knock-on effects and, and, and potential propositions and opportunities. I'd like to touch on that a bit more. I think it'd be good to get both of your opinions on this, actually. But, you know, you're selling into a trading environment. We're selling, you know, new capabilities into a trading environment. Effectively, you're, you're that you're that bridge between, you know, asset operator who wants, obviously, maximum owner operator who wants maximized returns within the market, able to respond to all these changes that are happening pretty quickly. And then you've also got traders who obviously are the route to market. But I'm really, I think if we could have a conversation very quickly around, you know, what 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 changes do you do you guys think need to happen at the trading level? So so within that environment, in order to in order to really catalyze this. I mean, I'll, I'll certainly offer my my viewpoint, which is. This is very much in the here and now. It's very much a within day real time dynamic because that's when we know a price discovery and pre grid need. Um, typically, trading organisations have been more predominantly trading, you know, ahead in the forward in the forward market. So looking months ahead, year ahead, because that's the way in which they contract with their customers. This is very much actually short term. It's very much in the here and now. And thus, the need to be able to have data available to you immediately that you trust, that can be um, consumed by models in an automated fashion, and in some cases, go straight to market and execute on behalf of, of the trader is critical. It's not only critical to be able to, to um, deliver the service and, and capture the price, but it's also margins are really low in, in this environment. It, you know, it's margins are low in general. They've been kind of, you mentioned, James, about kind of the the falling FFR price. I mean, it's you You need to kind of be in every little value pool, so every piece of margin matters. And if you can get there quicker, faster than everyone else and capture the price, and if you can get there with a lower cost to serve, you will be a winner in this. If you're in a much more manual, less digitized um, fashion, you can still you can still compete, but I think over the longer term, it's going to be more and more difficult. So, so for me, we're definitely seeing investment in in data uh, and automation and using traders more as kind of the the curators of models and, and the calibration of, of models rather than the actual executors. So basically you think there's a growing demand for, well there needs to be actually a shift in, uh, not necessarily demand, but almost acceptance that we need better data, we need better visualization of data. Um, 
and and that's all about being able to manage the manage the assets the response to market um in real time devrin would you concur with that oh to totally and the other side of what nicholas said i'll emphasize is you need uh integrated systems so that you are dispatching you are uh putting your bits and offers in the market you see what's cleared you can take that push it down to the assets to for physical dispatch and reporting back to your ETRM system from that. So all of that has to be integrated and automated. Oh, that's a lot of work, a lot of interesting work as well. Okay, so future role of upside. So um, what's what's next? What's uh, what's on the table? Uh, it's it's. I mean, I, I can paint you a really rosy picture, and I'll be making it up. But I mean, the <laughs> the, the 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 short term short term horizon is um, we're putting more effort onto the physical side now because we think there's a big 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 gap. Uh, we're just getting to learn how these batteries operate and we don't have the tools to to learn about them and operate them better um, we will push harder into uh, renewables on the physical side and on the financial side we're just getting our initial retail customers so retail traders onto the platform and as they grow and get more um, fluent in trading these uh, flexible assets We'll have to be just a step ahead of them to make sure our product is following and both guiding each other. So their demands and our thinking will guide the roadmap forward. But beyond that, once we get these very practical steps in, is taking the show on the road and going international. Nicola, what, what about some of the work that we're doing in this space? What, what are we seeing? Some of the, the trends upside and, and around the edges as well. So customers are coming to us, James, really actually asking about that digitization, that data need. How do they move away from the legacy of an ETRM-based trading um, architecture? And ETRMs have been great; they've served they've served traders well, but they're they're not typically the things that you would use in a real-time environment. They don't have optimization capabilities typically, and visualization has never been something they've needed to to consider in a in a very very real-time environment. So we're very much working with our customers and our clients to to understand how you bring together the various different components modules that you need to ingest data, optimize data, get out, get your bids and offers out to the market, receive those bids and offers, also dispatch the asset as a result of that, understand when it's a battery, okay, what does my state of charge look like? What does yeah. the degradation mean from my warranty? <laughs> what does it mean for, you know, can I actually then bid in for the next half an hour or do I need to take a view on kind of where the price might be, you know, kind of overnight and kind of really arbitrage across all those different value pools. So really it's about supporting their trading capability with those, that, those tools and data to kind of automate and, and digitize that process as much as possible. Yeah, that's, that's great. Thank you, Nicola. I think, I think, yeah, it sounds like um, there's a, there's a, there's a need to kind of modernize and, uh, you know, uh, innovate within, within the software Within actual software systems for you know for trading environments is you know just as much as there is in the, the infrastructure side of things right so being able to actually handle you know a grid level the increased the increased volatility and, and uncertainty of of renewables there's there's the same um, and you know and battery storage well battery storage was more of a solution but there's the same need at, at the trading at, at the trading the trading side as well and um, we've talked a lot about that side of the market um, um, it'd be good to get your views on um, where you think, um, you know, how, how, how is flexibility from the asset evolving? When, when you say flexibility, I think turning on, well, 
we used to think maybe turning on a diesel engine um or turning off um, part of a process um you know in a refinery somewhere um you know how's how is that changing and and what what future assets could we see evolving um in, in into the space that you know we, we could maybe monetize in the future i think we've got a bit of a way to go with um uh, batteries at least in the uk context and i think uk context is quite unique on that um so we we have about don't know what the Baringa numbers say but probably close to a gigawatt and a half of batteries either live or being close to being deployed we'll probably get another gigawatt of that before the market is uh, uh, saturated um what i'm i'm keen to see uh, obviously no more diesels thankfully uh, but um, what i am keen to see is more what we call more pure demand side response participating and i think um, refrigeration is probably already included with triads and and other services uh, but what i'm keen and it's been a personal mission of mine is data centers because because uh, data centers consume, if I don't have my numbers wrong, about two percent of el all electricity generation today. Very stable demand. Yeah, and they're 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 meant to go up to as much as twenty percent. And that there's another trend in data centers. They're going. The, the past trend was hypercenters. These massive hundred megawatt data centers just outside cities on major trunk lines. Now that's changing as well. They're moving into edge data centers. So with services like augmented reality, virtual reality, where the, the, the latency is critical, you put your data center closer to the point of consumption. Now, as you push them into the cities, their usefulness goes up because of two reasons. They can't use gas generation for backup. So they have to use more batteries, but also they're embedded in the distribution network so they can provide increasingly more services. So you could see it could be on top of a, um, for, for example, a gym, because they generate a lot of heat, that heat gets used in the gym, but then that's thermal inertia. You can pro provide additional services that are from that to the grid by switching things that are on or off. So I think data centers are the most underutilized and with the highest potential DSR asset we have out there. Wow. I think just to build on that point, I think they're also one of the a great example of a large corporate driving the net zero agenda. Yes. So, you know, they are very much demanding of their supplier. So even if they have self-supply on site, they are very much demanding of their of their supplier for pure green, like deep green tariffs and evidence of you know everything that they get is from a green source and and leading the charge along with a number of large corporates such as supermarkets very much going to source and getting their supplier to sleeve from the the renewable generator and um, to their site and, and make sure it's a pure green product and also they're taking that i think i can think of one kind of uk uh supermarket who's now actually asking the, the, their supplier um to also help them decarbonize and bring that that same kind of um green to their supply chain so it's a really interesting kind of way in which not only are they kind of being good corporate citizens, but they're actually you know, helping to kind of bring other users and kind of consumers of energy, which maybe wouldn't have necessarily the, the credit rating, whatever, to be attractive to suppliers to actually bring and kind of inf and reinforce that kind of low carbon and, and net zero agenda. So, you know, that's certainly in the Baringa side, we're working a lot on the strategies with a lot of those large corporates to to really kind of bring to life what, what Devon was describing. 
Yeah, that's a really that's interesting new new asset class that's moving in. Sorry, sorry, Devrim. I, I think well, the other question I had for you, Devrim, just in the interest of time, <laughs> is is what what do you think is um, going to be the future role of renewables um, within this space? Because I know from previous conversations uh, Nicola and I have had with you on project work and in the past, um, you've you've got some interesting um, interesting views on this. So it'd be really cool if you could share those with us as well. So I mean, re renewables have been seen as the as the as the creators of the um, the intermittency and the volatility in the marketplace. We've seen, I mean, Nicola talked earlier on about firming the renewables. So we looked for other places to come back and make renewables behave the way we forecasted that they would behave. Uh, whereas I think there's a, there's a great opportunity now, and and now is important because till now renewables have been on subsidies, so they have every incentive to generate no matter what. Whereas now there are market mechanisms that allow renewables to generate value when they don't generate or when they stop generating. So I think the big opportunity there is to start controlling renewables and turning them down at the right moment in time. And we've seen, we've seen. I mean, COVID, COVID obviously has been horrible for the world, but one of the things that helped our industry is it showed us what it would take to run a higher renewable grid system. Because we were we had low demand, we had great renewables during the summer, uh, solar and wind, and we were running at a high, much higher margin. Yeah, balancing so costs to the, the roof. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, because we didn't we didn't have the mechanism. I mean, it, it's like uh, having a really old machine and trying to run run it exactly in the same way despite the changing circumstances. And that's what the grid is today. We're still trying to run it as if it was 100 years ago. Uh, but in, in in that world, we had this summer we had. Uh, several hours of negative pricing where we had to turn off offshore wind uh, and not generate free electricity and that, that sounds insane so the alternative would be to be able to control those renewables and give them benefits in the balancing mechanism as opposed to constantly worrying about them as being the creators of the problem and i think to build on devon's point i think we are seeing trials starting to think about that so if we think about you know, the connection to the Orkney Islands very much are kind of renewables heavy. So curtailment, um, a number of, you know, other platform providers looking to kind of work with with DNOs and DSOs to kind of offer curtailments. If I think about Germ Germany and Europe, you've kind of got Redispatch 2.0 coming in for renewables and making sure they can be controlled and turned down under, under grid conditions. So I think it's starting to come. It's just maybe... I think we, it, you know, it's great that that Devon has that in his kind of sites, and actually the upside platform will be able to to offer that, um, as and when you know the grid is ready to to be able to be in that position. That's great, guys. Cool. So, covered a lot of interesting ground there. We've we have a bit of an overview of the market. Um, we've talked about you know the, the proposition that upside have, and and the importance of um, the importance of traders needing to. Um, evolve the way they work and uh, adopt some of these more digital strategies, and then we've gone into, um, you know, data centers as, as a new as a new behind you know, behind the meter flex customer type, which is really really cool. And didn't expect that to come up. That's really interesting. And then also the future role of renewables there, actually being able to um, monetize the asset that actually started um, the whole need for the problem in the first place. So um, again, that's really fascinating. What would be to both of you, I guess. I, I, what would be your call to action? What's the what's the thing that you'd really love to see happening in the market over the next, you know, the short the short term in the next couple of years? You know, that would really, that would really change the game for you. Um, I think 
for me, uh, I think it's a little bit of ways of working of our clients. So I, I think to be able to to move quickly, nimbly and, and to scale their propositions, you know, they need to. I think it's more of a digital culture that needs to be adopted, uh, agile ways of working, because um, we are starting to see pace now. I think up to today, it's been, a, you know, it's, it's we've been able to move, but we're now definitely going to see a lot more waves come faster, quickly. And to be there, to be able to capture that, ride the wave and get ride the wave and get the value, organisations need to be that 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 kind of digitally agile, you know, ways of working and be able to adopt it. If they're having to go back to their boards, constantly asking for for investment, I, I think that that will that will throttle some of some of their their ability to be able to respond, and 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 thus new entrants will kind of overtake them. So, I think that's I think it's just understanding the investment that's going to need to be made do it on a kind of proof of value basis but be able to be responsive to changes I suppose what I'd love to see and walk into a client environment. <laughs> so, I, I, I like us to see I like to see us achieve uh, net zero um, and, and to do that I think digitization is going to play a big part of it and one of the roles that we'll have to play is actually expose the true cost of energy so it's not just the pounds that you pay for it but the carbon footprint uh, and once you expose that, you can hold everyone accountable of how they consume energy and which energy they consume, which will then drive the pressure on the market to go green. Great. Thanks, guys. Well, thanks both for being on the podcast. Um, and hopefully um, we'll, we'll catch up with you again soon. We'll do it again. And um, we'll hear more about how Upside is progressing um, in episodes to come. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to today's podcast please hit the subscribe button to keep up to date with our latest podcast releases and hear more from Beringa and our energy innovators. If you have a question or a comment about the podcast or would like to learn more about Beringa, please email us at energypodcast@beringa.com or visit our website linked in the podcast bio.